Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. St. John Henry Newman, Apostle to the Doubtful, by Mariel Trevor and Leonie Caldicott. The early years continued. Search for the truth. Perhaps Newman was able to pursue this original line of thought because his personal religious development came through an arduous search for truth, always accompanied by a moral determination to live according to the faith he had been given. As a clever schoolboy of 14, he read Tom Paine's tracts against the Old Testament and some of David Hume's essays. So at least I gave my father to understand. But perhaps it was a brag. He wrote modestly in the Apologia. He copied some French verses denying the immortality of the soul and thought, how dreadful, but how plausible. He decided he would like to be virtuous, but not religious. Then, only a year later, after his father's bank had failed in 1816, he fell ill and was left alone at school in the summer holidays. Here, he recorded much later in a private journal, God turned me right round when I was more like a devil than a wicked boy. He saw his sin as spiritual rather than sensual, the intellectual pride that easily becomes arrogant self-sufficiency. This first conversion, to which he gave a duration of five months, prompting some evangelicals in later years to assure him, he had never been converted at all. He called in the Apologia a great change of thought. And indeed, the books lent him by Mr. Myers, a young evangelical master at the school, first started Newman thinking about the Christian religion. The Force of Truth by Thomas Scott a Unitarian who had thought his way to belief in the Trinity of God and the incarnation of the Son, or Word, in the man Jesus of Nazareth, not only implanted in Newman's mind the doctrine itself, but presented religious truth as a quest and the understanding of it as a personal development. Scott's sayings, holiness, before peace, and growth, the only evidence of life, became proverbs for the young Newman. And so, from the start, Christianity was, for him, not merely a system to be accepted, but a way of life. Milner's church history had an equally profound effect, for there Newman first discovered the fathers of the church, the great Christian thinkers of the early centuries. 
he compared the action of their thought upon him to music, his favorite art. He had learned to play the violin from the age of ten. In the Fathers, Greek clarity of reasoning met the concrete symbolism of the Hebrews. In this fusion of intellect and imagination, answered the unusual balance of Newman's mind, in which these forces were equal. He was shown the way into a world where the supreme mysteries were neither devitalized into an abstract system nor subjected to the degenerative process of uncontrolled feeling. Moreover, he was introduced to the church as it was before the period of medieval Christendom, out of which had burst the Protestant Revolution, which still in Newman's day was shaped by reactions against that medieval form of the church. So, in 1816, at the age of 15, Newman started on the way that was to make him an agent of the Catholic revival in the Church of England, and later to draw him, slowly and painfully, into the Catholic Church in communion with the See of St. Peter. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why did Newman think that the imagination was so important? Why did he seem to think the imagination and the intellect, that power to know the truth, are somehow to be balanced with each other? They're both vitally important. Newman thought this for many reasons, but one of which is this. Newman thought that the only way that human beings make a real ascent to a concrete reality, that is, the only way that we, in our makeup of the way our minds work, the only way that we make real to ourselves, that something is real, that something is individual and concrete and existing, is by an image in the imagination. See, our intellects tend to abstract. We form ideas. We have hypotheses. We think, oh, it might be this way. It could be that way. But in order for us to be certain that this thing, this person, especially God himself, is real, the way to that real acceptance, absolute acceptance of the existence of God is by an image in, in our imagination because the image in the imagination is individual. It's specific, it's concrete. And we form an image of God as the moral governor, 
as the one looking after everything, overseeing everything. And it's by this image, which occurs by the experience of our feelings, of our conscience, of listening to our conscience, of the, the feeling of having done well, the feeling of not doing well, that sense that our conscience gives us the same feeling as though we were pleasing or displeasing a teacher or a parent. It's from this experience that we form in our imagination image of God as the moral governor. And only if we have that image can God be real to us as the individual infinite being that he is. That doesn't mean that we comprehend God, but the imagination is crucial for Newman. That's one reason. But again, how do we become certain that Jesus Christ is real? How do we have a religious life with this man who's ascended into heaven, whom you and I have never touched or seen in the flesh? Again, the image of Christ in our imagination is central to how we make a real ascent, a real acceptance, an absolute acceptance that he's not just an idea, a wonderful possible being. No, that Jesus Christ existed, that he's alive right now. We have to think about that with our intellect, but the imagination for Newman is very, very vital. Again, he doesn't prove this. He's not setting out a theory. But this is how he says we actually live and think and have faith. The image of Christ in our imagination, Newman says, is the cause and the reward of our faith. It's only by forming that imagination, by picturing him to ourselves, that we're able to assent, accept unconditionally. That is what, what faith is. And then later, once we believe in him, his image in our imagination becomes a great reward, a cause of great devotion. So the imagination and the intellect for Newman go together. But also the will, the heart. Because for Newman, Christianity is not just about ideas. Far from it, it's about realities. But it's not just about believing these realities. It's about living. It's about a way of life. Holiness is crucial for Newman. From the very beginning of Christianity, Newman was repenting of his pride. Newman was seeking to live a holy life. And so we ask him tonight to pray for us. Maybe we're going through a financial crisis. Maybe we're sick. Maybe someone in our family is going through great difficulties. Maybe we feel lonely. Maybe we feel isolated. Maybe we feel confused. Maybe we've had to face incredible obstacles to our faith. Maybe we are feeling doubts. We don't know how to answer certain things. We don't understand why things are happening as they are. Well, all of that that I've just described were the kinds of things swirling around young St. John Henry Newman when he was first brought to this living faith in the reality of Christ. And from the very beginning, Newman understood that Jesus Christ is God. 
And because Jesus Christ is God, there must be a Father. Because Jesus Christ is God as Son. He's God because he's the Son of God. He's received from the Father everything it means to be God. And so within the triune God, the infinite eternal God, there is a Father and a Son. The Father is God and the Son is God. But the Father is not the Son. They're distinct persons. And from their eternal life together, there springs up an eternal love, an eternal joy between the two of them that we call the Holy Spirit. Not that we call, but that Jesus Christ himself calls and has revealed to us that in God there is a community of persons. God is one, but not solitary. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And because we can form images of the Father, and because we can form images of what it means to be God, the moral governor, because we can form images of Jesus, because we can form images of Jesus, and because we have an image of the God as this infinite moral governor, we can make a real ascent. We can give an absolute acceptance to the truth that Jesus is God. And because we can form an image of the Holy Spirit, and because we can form an image of God as the moral governor, we can connect those and our life can be fed and nourished by the truth that the Holy Spirit is God. And Newman was so aware that those truths, Jesus is Lord, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, those are not abstract truths. Those are living, vital acts of faith that our life, our religious life is built on. Let no one ever try to say, that the dogmas of our faith and the feelings that accompany our faith have to be separated, have to be absolutely divided against each other. Newman wanted the whole man to be understood because he understood that our religion speaks to the whole man, intellect, imagination, heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.